The Peony is just around the corner, and this year it'll begin on August 19th. Now, it can be argued no single location in Vancouver captures the spirit and history of this city. Since 1910, millions of guests have enjoyed shows, exhibits, sporting events, amusement rides, concerts, and cultural activities every year. And of course, that includes the Summer Fair. Well, today, the PNE is the largest employer of youth in BC and the longest running and best attended annual ticket event in BC. And you can imagine all those amazing concerts. Think back to uh, the Beatles, to the historical uh, Miracle Mile. Uh, there still are every year, I'm always surprised at the acts that they bring uh, to the PNE. That includes this year as well. Well, back in 1980, Nick Marino was 12 years old. He started working at the PNE and Quickie learned that there was more to the fair than winning stuffed animals and eating mini donuts. He shares his stories uh, working six summers at the PNE in a new book called The East Side Story, Growing Up at the PNE. And he joins us now. Nick, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jess. I was really excited to, to talk to you about this. Um, you know, um, the PNE is so integral uh, to who we are and, and what we are. And we've been debating on whether or not it, we should have a fair, all those types of things. And, and I'll keep the politics out of this because I found your book just really exciting just because of the history uh, of this city. I guess my first question to you as an East fan kid, what motivated you to write about the PNE and your story? Well, I was taking a, a freelance writing course and we had to pitch ideas. Mm-hmm. And I pitched the idea of like when I worked there, it was unlike anywhere I'd worked before. There was a, a lot of uh, a lot of scamming going on. There was a lot of uh, a lot of kids trading rides for hamburgers and, and parking <laughs> for beer and all of this kind of thing. And it just felt like a, a different kind of place than anywhere that I'd worked before. And when I mentioned it to the teacher, um, Jennifer Van Evra, mm-hmm. she said that that sounds like a book. And uh, luckily, I was able to pitch it to someone, and and it just, you know, as as I got into it more, I realized it's like it's an integral part of East Vancouver history. Mm-hmm. And like you like you mentioned, 1910, the PNE started on the day that my grandma was born. Wow. Um, the the first, you know, in 1910. So so it's, it's like really important, I guess, in my family, the the history of it. Uh, my whole family grew up in East Van, so it just. Uh, you know, it was a cultural hub, right? Everything that happened uh, important in the city, mm-hmm. the BC Lions, the Whitecaps, the Canucks, every concert that came through, like you said, the Miracle Mile, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff was all on the PE grounds mm-hmm. up until Expo 86, and then things started migrating west. So um, when you got the job at the PE, how did that come about? Did somebody recommend that you apply? How did how did that come about? Well, my brother had been working there, and I think my sister as well, and my dad just took me down and I applied or I just filled something out and I, I got a job blowing up balloons and, and dodging darts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so was it more on the, 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 the Playland side when you, where you were working? Um, well, it was only during the fair. Like Playland okay, yeah. is open, I think. Year like, round. Yeah. Well, or at least I for think, the summer. Yeah. 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 So I was there for the 17 days of the fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what... It, w- your first time when you got hired, was there anything that sort of was seared in your mind, a particular image, uh, a particular moment that you just sort of took you back and go, this this is pretty special. This is a pretty neat place to be working. Um, I think just like being a 12-year-old among all those high school, all those teenagers was super exciting to me. Mm-hmm. I was dying to be a teenager. Being a younger brother, I had looked at my brother's uh, yearbook all the time and I would, I'd, you know, like just dream about being in high school. So being around those those kids was exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing adults act unlike I was used to adults acting, like we had this boss who was sort of like he'd walk. He was not just the boss of my game, but sort of the whole all the games. Mm-hmm. And he was 
you know, he was nuts. So, like, he would be swearing and screaming. And, you know, like I mentioned in the book, he was, like, nose-to-nose with people, like a like a baseball, someone yelling at a baseball ump. And it was just unlike anything I'd seen before. Mm-hmm. So those kind of images are seared into my mind. Um, my, my 16-year-old boss being mad at me and throwing a dart at me and hitting me. I had to raise my arm to block it. And it stuck in my arm. That, <laughs> you know, that sticks with me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just all those things of, like, you know, sort of the little kid looking in at the big kids. Yeah. yeah. And you were saying that, look, uh, you know, the, perhaps the people bent a, few, bent a few rules when it comes to dealing with customers. Was that a common thing just in regards to when you were at the fair? Well, uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> when I was there, um, you know, again, as I said in the book, I'm sure there were some people who weren't taking anything. But I, I didn't meet them. Yeah. You know, um, but it was it was little. It was small potatoes. You know, it was like saying, you know, someone came up to me and said, hey, if you give me some of the prizes from your game, I'll give you free a free hamburger. Yeah. You know, it was a bit of an underground economy going on for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, when you were growing up uh, in that era of East Vancouver, you mentioned the sports team, the BC Lions, um, Whitecaps and, and, and the Canucks. What did the, the grounds themselves, the physical grounds mean for for residents? Well, for like, I didn't grow up right next to it, but my mm-hmm. cousins were very close to it and their friends, and we were there all the time. But you know, having interviewed people that did grow up right next to it, they they literally saw it as their as their backyard, mm-hmm. and they just went there and they played there. They checked every door. They would go into the Coliseum and watch the Canucks practice. They would go in after the Whitecaps played, uh, you know, had a practice, and they'd go find those. Remember those old NASL balls that had the stars on them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this guy Dan that I interviewed mentioned finding those in there. They would just they they treated it like it was their backyard, and they had this sort of like local entitlement, like I can do whatever I want here. And I think that spilled over to when they were working there, saying, "Hey, I work at the arcade. Come over and, and you can play a hundred games for free." And then when I see you. You know, you give me something. I've always found it amazing, and maybe the, it, it's different now, but, uh, you know, when you finished uh, a school, an elementary school, and I grew up in the interior in the Caribou in Williams Lake, that with your report card every year at the end of the school year, you would get tickets to the PNE, which I just, to, even now, I just find those amazing. And it was, for me, my first trip there, I just found the PNE to be fascinating coming out of a small town. But even just getting those tickets in your report card every every June, just a, it was it was an amazing different era, wasn't it? Right, yeah. I mean, for some kids, a report card is bad news, but at least you got those <laughs> P&E tickets in there, right? Yeah. Um, what was East Fan like in, in that era? Uh, you know, cities change and evolve, but I, I'm, growing up, and, and you were mentioning off air, you're, you're in Killarney. What was East Fan like at that time? Well, in a way, it's hard for me to answer because it's it's to me it was normal. That was what what it was. Um, I, I guess I would say East Van was you know it was definitely like a, a much more working class area than it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a teacher in in East Vancouver now in elementary school, and um, the the families that you see in some schools are what you would have typically seen in the West Side before. But those people are moving more to the East Side. So so East Van was a much more um, working class area I'd say at the time for sure is it how has it changed has it changed in your mind I mean as you say look you you know it for what it is you've been there all your life Uh, has it changed and for the better in your mind I think it has changed for the better because I think society has changed for the better I think if we you know it's easy for someone like me you know like a a white male to look back and say it was great then but um, you know, I'm, it, it was a very homophobic time. It was a racist time, um, in general. I'm not saying just in East Van, but in general. So you go down to East Vancouver. I'm on Commercial Drive a lot now, and it's a it's a much more inclusive area. So for me, that's always makes it a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the community itself, um, you know, when I think of East Vancouver, and I'm not sure it is a, look, it's a melting pot, and I'll be the first one to say it's a melting pot. Uh, people of all backgrounds are there, but I've always felt that the, there's a strong uh, Italian community uh, in East Vancouver. In many ways, the heartbeat of it. I mean, Italians live all over British Columbia and Canada. But to me, when I think East Van, I think a very strong Italian community. Um, were you a part of that? Like, did you intermingle within the community a lot? Well, th- that that Italian, strong Italian, Italian community was more like northeast East okay. Vancouver. And I was in the Killarney area. Yeah. So, like, I didn't play soccer on the Italian team. But, you know, I knew guys that were on that team. And my, like I say, my cousins lived down there. So I always sort of felt part of it. But it was also a little bit of on the outside looking in because um, people from East Van, you know, they tend to, to look at it sort of as the boundary as maybe Kingsway or even a little bit further north. Okay. And if you're on the other side of that, they don't really see it. But as I say in the book, like... Um, Vancouver's always had a strong east-west divide in the city, and anyone that lives on the east side of Main Street knows what side they're on. So, so uh, yeah, and going back to the Italian thing, my family has been in the city for, well, my grandma was born here in 1910. Her, her dad moved to BC in 1890. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's been uh, Italians that I've been related to in the city for years, king in the States, and they were lured away and then used in freak shows, and they were billed as, like, the sheep-headed man or uh, Martian man, all these kind of like really exploitative kind mm-hmm. of things. And uh, they, they were kept from their parents for like 20 years until their mom uh, tracked them down and was able to get them back. When they came back, they realized that the only way they could really make money was in the freak show. So they went back to the freak show, but this way they had some better terms where they're actually making a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and they ended up, one of them ended up living to be 108 and he said the only person he ever hated in his life was was this guy that that kidnapped them. Yeah, there there is some dispute whether his mom might have let them go at first. Yes, but whether she let them go or not, um, they were not allowed to leave. Wow. And uh, so I bring this up because in when they were in their sixties, which would probably have been about nineteen fifty ish, they were performing at the Peony as Eco and Ico, the Sheep Headed Men. Wow. Yeah. Just a different know, era, different time. Just yeah, completely. I mean, yeah. in a way. Freak shows still exist for us, but it's cable TV, you know. Uh, sometimes it's like... like sometimes even, it's TV news. <laughs> yeah, even some of those like dating shows. I mean, in a way, it's like emotional freak shows. You know, you're yeah. just exposing someone's emotions or something like My 600-Pound Life. Like, yeah. you know, it's just... It's reality TV. Yeah, it really is. Sure. Now, tell me about this. So we got a couple more minutes. Uh, tell me more about the this, this issue of the mafia and the Okay, PM. yeah, so... It, it, Jazz, in, in researching this book, I had so many people come to me with stories. I, I almost could have just sat at home and people would have kept coming. So yeah. my daughter came up from work one day and she said, okay, someone from work said you got to interview her landlord. So I went and I interviewed this guy. He's 95 years old. And his story is this. So he was um, born in Poland in 1930 or I guess 28 or some of that. Yeah. His whole family died. Uh, and so he was it, during he was Jewish. So during the war... Uh, war years, his whole family died. So he ended up just on the streets. He was part of a pickpocket ring. Uh-huh. He's a little guy, but he was a muscle in the pickpocket ring. Uh-huh. Eventually, he was he came to uh, Canada in Winnipeg. Yeah. And uh, while he was on the streets, he was a street kid. Not like he had a family, but he was a tough kid on the streets. Yeah. He um, he made friends with people in the mafia. Um, and then someone came to him and they said, "Hey, look, I I lent some money to the mafia. I can't pay them back, and now they want to kill me." And he said, and they said, "I know that you know." The mafia, maybe you can help out. So so this guy, Isaac, he helped out. 
The mafia slowly got paid. This guy didn't get killed. Well, years later, Isaac was um, a carny. Yeah. And he came to Vancouver, and this guy was working at the P&E. And this guy hired him, and he said, you know, because you helped me out when you work at the gambling wheel this, this year for the two weeks of the fair, don't give me the money. You take the money because you saved my life. So every day, instead of handing in the money that he took from the gambling wheel, he'd put it in his pocket and bring it home. And uh, he saved up. I mean, this is a time when when the average Canadian man was making $3,500 a year. Mm-hmm. And he was taking home sometimes $500 a day from wow. the P&E. So he ended, ended up buying a house or, you know, with the money. And um, in fact, I was at his house, the same house he still lives in. I was there yesterday <laughs> dropping off a copy of the book for him. <laughs> so, yeah, I found all these like really crazy stories. You know, obviously that kind of stuff isn't happening now. Yeah. And it's no reflection on the peony now. But 70 years ago, there was, you know, there was some, some shenanigans going on. Well, it's been around since 1910. Many, many stories like that, I am sure. Uh, my guest was Nick Marino. Uh, he's got a new book out, East Side Story, Going Up at the Peony, speaking about his six summers there, but also a story about East Vancouver as well. I highly recommend you check it out. Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks a lot for having me, Jazz. I really All appreciate right. it.